Welcome to episode 37 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen with host Matt Payne. This week's guest is none other than the infamous Gary Randall, who I've been following for a very long time. Uh, when I lived in the Pacific Northwest, I always really looked up to Gary's photography because it's super inspirational and and man, he is just such a down-to-earth dude and just um, really fun to, to kind of follow his online presence. Um, we, we talked a lot about about that topic, about his online presence and social media, and, and really for him it boils down to authenticity, which, which was a fantastic uh, topic of conversation. Talked about how Gary got started in landscape photography. Talked a lot about um, um, the permit system and the national forests and wilderness areas and things like that. Um, we talked about uh, Gary seeing himself as a his role in motivating other people to become better photographers and also talked about the importance of collaboration and finding uh, positive people in your life. Uh, Just a reminder, um, I've been releasing a lot of bonus content on Patreon and um, I've got a new initiative going on Patreon where um, I've set a goal to raise $1,000 monthly income for Patreon which I will, once I hit that mark, I'm going to dedicate it to a, a, a landscape conservation, uh, landscape photography conservation award. So for $1,000. So I need everyone's help in becoming a patron of the podcast on Patreon. There'll be a link in the show notes. Um, as usual, reach out to me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Matt Payne Photo, and Matt Payne Photography. And uh, one other thing, I wanted to also uh, keep promoting my buddy uh, Jack Brower's uh, photography website services. Um, there's a link in the liner notes for that as well. But, um, you know, Jack, he, he's created the websites for lots of famous photographers. And um, I think his platform is really fantastic. And I think you will, too. It's, uh, it's called Wide Range Galleries. Um, so if you're looking for a website for your landscape photography, Check it out and uh, let Jack know you've heard about it on the podcast. Thanks for listening. Gary Randall, it's super cool to have you on the podcast finally. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Um, so I have to mention that uh, when I when I got the idea to do the podcast, um, I was I was sitting in my my house in my living room, and I was on my you know there's an app called Evernote on my phone, and I was just making a list of photographers that came to mind that I wanted to get on the podcast someday. And you were definitely one of the first people I thought of. So, well, I'm flattered. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, I mean, I lived in Portland for two years, and I always appreciated uh, looking at your photography because it was of of locations that 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 I you know that I knew nothing about and wanted to uh, to go take pictures of myself. So, right you're, on. You're definitely an inspiration for a lot of people. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm flattered. It really am, and I. You know, I've just worked, just kind of worked uh, within my own little bubble for a long time. And for me to realize, you know, where I'm at at this point and how much influence I have on, you know, a lot of people, it's kind of, 
it's hard for me to realize it's flattering and it's it's uh, I kind of see it as a responsibility you know I don't want to put any bad information out there for people I want to mostly I want to just encourage people to just keep going it's the best the best diet that I've ever done as far as advancing my work is just when I just was looking at my own work and trying to experiment with my own ideas so yeah. a lot of people you know they just they really want to emulate other photographers and so I just try to encourage people nowadays. You know, I, I, I think I've gotten to a point where I've got a, I'm kind of a legitimate enough for, you know, to be able to give a little advice. So, sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, um, <laughs> I, I always kind of think of you. I don't know. Have you seen, um, back to the future? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's, yeah, it's like your, your profile photo or what, but you always remind me of Dr. Dr. Emmett's Emmett. Uh, whatever his name is in that movie. <laughs> sure, but that's awesome. But I think it's well, also you know, like your personality online. Like you kind of have like a like a unique personality too. Yeah. Well, what's kind of funny is I still see myself from the inside out as being the same like twenty eight year old guy, kind of you know the average age. But I I'm kind of in denial of my age at this point. But you know the hair. Uh, I used to have a real job, and so when I quit that job, it's just like I just just didn't cut my hair for a long time. And then I said, well, I might as well grow it, see what happens. And then uh, once my photography started gaining traction at that point, uh, it became kind of an identifying factor in my situation. And so uh, it's become kind of a trademark, I guess, between me and my Jeep and my dog. And now my new wife, Darlene. Yeah. Kind of like a, uh, kind of iconic you know my hair's because i can't cut it otherwise nobody'd know who i was yeah, like, you who's know? that guy <laughs> yeah, right well uh, so um i guess before we get too deep into everything i was hoping you could maybe just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself if they don't know anything about you you know like who you are where you live how you got into landscape photography maybe I tell don't. tell people a little bit of interesting things about yourself um I, I was taking a look at your about page, which is always fun, but figured you could, uh, so let's get it straight from, straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Sure, why not? Yeah. Well, I'm essentially, um, uh, ingrained in Oregon. My family's lived here for about four or five generations now. And so, um, I've basically grown up at least the latter part of my life, the early part of my life. My dad was in the Navy, so we traveled around, but, you know, since junior high until now, I've just been in, in the same area around Mount Hood between the Columbia River Gorge and and the south side of Mount Hood. And I've always tried my best to avoid living in the city. Even though I worked in the city for a while, I drove to the city and then moved to the, the countryside out here to raise my kids and live. So I'm really familiar with this whole area. You know, I just love it. Columbia River Gorge. And the Mount Hood National Forest are my domain. I've just lived around here for over 50 years now. Yeah, man. And, you know, it's just a beautiful place to be. I'm sure I couldn't um, be where I am uh, in the world of landscape photography. I lived in some other area. You know, my heart and soul is here. Plus, it's just a beautiful place. I can literally leave my house and be in a creek taking a photograph within 30 minutes. And so... You know, a lot of people will ask me how and how I can be so prolific in my photography, and I should probably throttle it back a little bit. But I have so much material, and it's, 
so many places to go. So, but I love it around here. And so this is where I, I, I love, I, I, and it's kind of what has driven me to become a landscape photographer, my hikes, backcountry hikes and wanting to be able to preserve some of these things that I've seen with the camera. At first, of course, they were just point and shoots and taking snapshots and stuff. But in time, I saw a few other photographers doing a few things, you know. Yeah. I've got a back background. I mean, I've loved photography all my life since I was like five or six years old. I've been taking photographs. I got a brownie camera in like 1964 or five. My folks would give me a roll of 12 exposures once a month, black and white film. And <laughs> Because it was, it would cost you know a certain amount of money, but you know you you grow up knowing you only got twelve exposures on a roll of film. You know you do your best to try to take the best photos you can. Yeah, yeah. yeah my but, my um, my dad was a, a photographer um, on the side uh, when he was in the Air Force, and after he uh, got out of the Air Force, and um, he w- he did a lot of black and white stuff. And when I was old enough. I did, you know, I did a lot of um, mountain climbing and hiking with my my parents, and mm. they they gave me one of those um, those Kodak disc cameras. I don't know if sure. you remember those. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I used to take the like dumbest photos with that thing. Like, oh look, there's a picture of a tree. Like, uh, well, was, you know, yeah. Just that just um, indicates just how much fun taking the photograph is itself you know we just get a surge of enjoyment out of taking that photograph you know i mean maybe it's the anticipation of wondering if it's going to turn out good or not you know but yeah you know but your father was in the air force while i was in the navy i spent uh four years active and every navy base that i went to had special services which had a a dark room and a and a photo lab you know with a dark room and a bunch of old guys probably guys my age you know were in there and and uh that's what we, they were doing is teaching us how to shoot with tri-x back then we were shooting with tri-x and you know black and white and enlarging and doing all kinds of fun stuff they were even showing uh, us how to um do um uh, masking and dodging and burning and all that stuff in the enlarger you know so yeah saw a little bit of the creative side of it back then. And I really enjoyed doing it. It was something that was simple. It was all black and white, but I was just really got into it. And then after I got out of the service, I became responsible. And when you become responsible, the things you love typically go away. If you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. <laughs> photography kind of faded away because, you know, I just had too much work to do and was raising children and was, had a family. And so any photographs that I did take were snapshots of the family. So, yeah. But I got got to a point in my life where I was older and all the all that stuff had went away. My kids were grown up and had gone through a divorce and my couple close family members had passed on and my job took a dump and I was sitting in my house one day trying to decide if I wanted to go back to Portland and jump in the acid bath again or if I wanted to just take some time off and reassess my life. I was about halfway through it and I was starting to realize it, so... So I took some time off and decided to, uh, you know, see how it happened or what happened. Just take a break, I guess. Uh-huh. And really in the back of my mind, I thought I would go back to work, but I just never have. So, you, you know, it's been about 20 years or 15 years, I think now. What kind of work were you solid, doing? Solid 15 years. I, I worked in uh, an industrial machine shop in Portland working on um, pulp and paper industry machinery. Okay. And so I was doing engineering and drafting work. 
So I started at the basement of the paper mill, worked my way up into the office. So I was pretty ambitious. So, you know, I'm trying to take the same work ethic and transfer it over into my own life and just choose something that I really love to do and work the best I can and work the hardest I can and, you know, make it work. And so far I've been unemployed for about 15 years. It's, it's good work if you can get it. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, anybody can really follow their, their passion and their dream if they do, do things right. You know, I had to, I had to lose everything before I could gain everything. If that made any sense, because the stuff that I had back then were material things, typically, you know, like a, expensive house and expensive car and whatever and credit cards or whatever. So I decided to get rid of all that stuff and lean my life down. And I got myself into a, a double wide trailer that needed some work on a piece of land. And between what I had left and a little bit that my, my mom pitched in for me, I was able to buy this place and fix it up. And it was only 40,000 bucks. It's paid off. I don't have a, a house payment. And then I don't drive cars with payments. I have an old Jeep. <laughs> I don't have I don't have any credit cards. I'm on the cash system. So, you know, I manage my and budget my money. If I need money, I bust my ass and try to get my money up and you know. And so there's been a struggle through this whole era, but all the work right now is starting to pay off. It's awesome. So I'm able to pay my bills on time, which is you know, when I sat down and and said a little prayer about my future. I didn't say I wanted to become a millionaire. I just wanted to be a photographer full time. So here I am. So awesome. there you go. Well, man. Well, Hey, before so, we, I guess that's the sum of it, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Well, so that's awesome, man. So one of the um, things that you said that prompted me to like have all kinds of questions is, um, I mean, you, you saw the transition from film to digital. It sounds like. Yeah, uh, I know that uh, for a lot of photographers that that kind of were born out of the film era, that that transition wasn't easy for a lot of people, and a lot of people flat out refused to even do it. And I'm seeing there's a lot of parallels nowadays. Like, um, like everyone, almost everyone shoots digital, but then there's like people that refuse to edit or refuse to learn how to use uh, Lightroom or Photoshop or whatever. Like they they think that's like cheating or so I'm just curious, well, like how did how did you kind of survive that transition? And because I, I for me I I see it as more of like a it's an attitude thing. Like if you right. are open minded and and I, yeah. So go ahead. I don't want to answer it for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the way I see it is that um, during the transition, there were some amazing photographers that I really looked up to. I still look up to, but they really didn't see. Uh, the future of digital, when the first digital cameras came out, they were crap, you know, sure. all the pictures looked like oatmeal, <laughs> but, you know, but um, they didn't quite see it. And, and it kind of, I kind of found it odd that they didn't see it. And I think it's because they didn't see the advancement of the technology. If they could have seen the advancement of the resolution of the photographs that they were getting now, if they could have seen or, predicted or realized it somehow, then they would have jumped on board. But I really don't think that they realized it. And so they, they didn't, they didn't do it. They just felt that film was always going to be the king, right? And digital was just going to be like relegated. Or to, yeah. Or even just relegated to simple, unquality, you know, bad quality photographs. But 
it seems odd to me they wouldn't realize it if they are actually in the dark room and understanding that they could understand that they're going to be able to do the same thing in the future with their lights on right, or something. Right, but, right. You know, a lot of people that have the, and then you go into the side with processing. Okay. And where people were bad mouthing people with processing, you don't understand. People don't understand how much that has push back the progression of my photography in the beginning because I was trying to work towards other people's expectations of what digital photography should be. So they made me feel guilty if I ever went in and tried to experiment with any kind of changes or anything that was very far away from straight out of the camera, you know? So this day and age, you've got some famous photographers that are doing some pretty heavy manipulation and is there's no guilt in it, and they're being praised for it. So that attitude has changed a lot, you know, since I first started. And um, let me see the um, what was I going to say? Um, also, think that the people that were bad mouthing the people that were doing digital manipulation in Lightroom or dark, I should say Photoshop in the beginning were people that were essentially shooting film and then taking it to the drugstore and getting it back. And so in their world, they saw film as being, you take the photograph, you don't do anything to it, you look at the picture. Right. Whereas if a person was a uh, shooting uh, a medium or large format uh, view cameras and or even 35 millimeter film and going into the Lightroom and doing some manipulation, even the manipulation that Ansel Adams was doing, if they understood all of that, uh, you know, of the people that, are, that were bad-mouthing it, if they understood all of that, they wouldn't be bad-mouthing the people that were doing it, essentially doing the same things in Photoshop with the lights on. Yeah, yeah. And, a beer, in their, and a beer in their hand, you know, <laughs> because, you know, it's a hell of a lot better. I mean, well, it's, a, it's that process of creating something, you know, like, Exactly. Um, exactly. It's the artistic expression in photography that's hooked me anyhow. Right. And you you can't do that with a point and shoot. You can't do that with your cell phone camera. Well, you can with. I shouldn't say you can't because there's. I mean, you you can, but you you're the the, right. the there's limitations on what you can achieve. It, right. And not in the same way that you could in the darkroom. I mean, it's like okay. uh, it's like it'd be like. Um, if you were like one of the best uh, artists in the world, um, but you refuse to use anything but like pencil and uh, legal exactly. paper. Exactly. It's okay you know, to use exactly. paper, buddy. Exactly. <laughs> if you want to do black and white paintings or, you know, yeah. not put some color in it. I mean, that's not to disparage black and white, but, you know, it's they get themselves boxed in and, you know. Yeah. So a lot of people that were coming out and – you know saying well true photography is straight out of the camera uh certain certain times it is and certain times it isn't street photography and you know maybe wildlife photography you can you know you can get it but when you're out there you know working with dynamic you know elements of the earth you know including sunsets and sunrises and wind you got flowers bouncing around. Right. You're trying to keep your ISO down, and you've got a, a dynamic range that goes from both limits of the camera's abilities. And you've got all this stuff going on. You're not in a in a, a studio or something. Then that allows you, I think, that uh, that 
ability to be able to use the tools that we have to be able to to make your images so i have less guilt now for the work that i do than i did before so yeah it's a it's like a never-ending debate for me because um it, it seems like every day uh in some facebook group i'm in there's always someone that's like photoshop is cheating or or like mm -hmm. or or and yeah. then there's like then there's people that say like Oh well, you can't you can't add a sky in like that's cheating or and like mm -hmm. um, and I understand why people think that because I think all of those comments are driven by um, by our ego. Because yes. well, you know the, the replacing the sky and stuff like that. You know that's another issue as well. I don't think that it's 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 wrong necessarily, but certain times it should be. Um, should be exposed i think sometimes when you're putting a photograph out there and somebody that is ignorant of the fact that that it's manipulated oh, is totally. looking at it as in an un uh, uh unreal expectation with unreal expectations totally you know? totally i saw a photo yeah, um two days ago i'm not on i'm not saying not doing it you know but be honest that you're a photographer that does yeah do you that, gotta so, but you go gotta ahead. be honest uh, absolutely i mean <clears throat> i saw a photo a couple of days ago on instagram that was like shared on a hub or something and, and of yeah. course it got all these likes and stuff which is fine like it was actually a really well done composite and it was like yeah. it was um like mount assimboini in canada and they had like mm -hmm. blended in a Milky Way that wasn't even from there. And then there was like, and to make it even more egregious, they then also blended in like a long exposure of um, like car tail lights around like a curved road. Right. And I was like, exactly. yeah, that's a national park. I don't think there's cars. <laughs> and but it's like you just need to be honest and tell people like, by the way, this is literally nothing yeah. you will ever see because it's impossible. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> this day and age of grabbing Instagram likes and stuff like that, then it doesn't pay to be honest. It, it, it also pays to be, ex, you know, extraordinarily extravagant with your images. And so that's, the, you know, and that's the painful part for the photographers, you know, like, you know, the, those of us that go out there and try our best to get out there when they, the time is right and, we freeze our asses off standing in a creek. Right. And, you know, we w do all this hard work to get our photographs, and they get a tenth of the popularity on, you know, on Instagram or something like that. But, you know, if you're if you're letting that bother you, you're probably into photography for the wrong yeah, reason. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think yeah. you know uh, TJ Thorne. I do. He's an awesome guy. Yeah, I've known him. I've known TJ since he first started. Yeah. Man, he he said something yeah, on he, the podcast. He's gone through. He's gone through so darn much, and he's come so far, man. He's yeah, awesome. he said something on the podcast that that stuck with me, and I say probably once a week. And it's um, <clears throat> either the photograph moves you, or it do or it doesn't. It doesn't matter how it was created, and I think that's true. Like. If you're going to view photography as an art form, then you have to not care how the image was created. No. I think. No, no, you you can't you can't let other people what other people think about your artwork. You know, if if you if Pablo Picasso let his art teacher judge his artwork, he would have never have gone on to become famous. Right. You know. 
So do what do what moves you. Do what your heart tells you to do when you express yourself artistically. Otherwise, you'll never be successful because you're never going to show your true heart and soul. Absolutely. Right? So, well, one thing uh, uh, I wanted to talk to you about, Gary. Um, yeah is a, a thing that I've noticed about you on Facebook, which, um, and the reason I'm mentioning it is because I'm not the only person that's noticed it. I've actually had several conversations with several different people about it and, and not, not because mm-hmm. I brought it up, like they brought it up. Um, and it's, mm. so it's, it's, I think it's interesting to talk about. Um, so, and the way I'm going to, uh, I guess encapsulate it is, um, it's like you're, you're, you're very raw and open on Facebook, like, um, for example, a few years ago, I don't even know how long ago it was, but let's say three years ago, um, you were, I don't know, maybe you were like down on your luck or sales or bad or something. And you were like, please buy my fucking photos. Like, like (laughs) this is how I support myself. Like, please buy my photos. And I was just curious, like, that's, um, as a business person, like, um, I just, I thought that was very interesting that you were willing to just go like that to that level of, in terms of like basically telling people out there like, Hey, if you like my work, no. you need to buy it. <laughs> well, you know, let's see, how would I sum that up? You know, it, I was you get to a breaking point every now and then. It's not like I got into it six months before and got pissed off. You know, it was like, all right, it's been 10 years now. I think that we should be able to at least pay our bills. on time. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you got 5,000 followers on Facebook. Send me a dollar each, man. We'll both be happy. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So you get discouraged, you know, and I think that most of the people follow me on my personal uh-huh. page on yeah. Facebook. And so I'm more apt to be open over sure. there. and Which I really appreciate, uh, by the way. I'm th- not saying it's a bad thing. You know, I mean, I think that's uh, what Facebook is for, I think, is to go on there. Most people go on there and they piss and moan about politics, which I think is a complete and total waste <laughs> of time. You can be more productive with that time by writing a freaking letter or something. Right. But, or, you know, but either way, uh, I, I don't do any politics on, on my Facebook page at all. You know, I piss both sides off. So I take uh, my Facebook page and I just use it to express um, what it's like to be a photographer trying his best to try to figure the system out. I am not a businessman. Uh, You know, I'm a photographer. And so we have some amazing photographers out there that also have some business savvy. I don't seem to have it. Otherwise, it wouldn't have taken me so long to get me where I'm neither, at now. Me neither, by the way. <laughs> well, you, you know I what do. I'm saying. And so, but I have a very passionate following. You know, I've got 7,500 people that follow me on my personal page, and I'm at 18,000 on my photography page and 12,000 on Instagram, whatever it is. I'm, I got a lot of people that listen to me, you know. And so, if I was to go on there and just tell everybody that it's a happy happy life every day for a photographer and you never struggle, then that's not being honest. It really isn't, you know? And so I think being honest that way, I think is actually people seem to think that I'm more sincere and more genuine, which I think is what I'm trying to be. 
And it also will help people to get through those rough times themselves. You know, I mean, themselves. And so, you know, they may say, well, shit, if Gary can do it, I should be able to do it. If, if they know I'm not invincible, yeah, right? Yeah, I like that. I mean, you know? it's, um, I think that authenticity thing is super critical because there's people out there that, um, if you didn't know any better, and that's the danger of social media, I think, if you didn't know any better, mm-hmm. you th- you'd think that their life was perfect and being a full-time yeah. photographer is like, like, it's like well, puppy dogs and ice cream, and really, it's like super hard work, long hours, and yeah, it happens, the guy. Man, I, <laughs> you can pay your bills, I guess. I think I've experienced that. You know, I uh, uh, I've got a real good friend. His name is uh, Kevin McNeil. Yeah, yeah. All right, and he was probably the first guy that ever influenced my work to go towards the d- direction that it's gone right now. You may even see a little bit of influence from him because he was kind of the original spark. But either way, uh, I just went shooting with him uh, yesterday, and we were talking. And uh, it was the same thing. He was telling me some of the stuff that he's gone through. And you know what? He's never put any of that stuff on his, his Facebook page, so I never knew it. Sure. You know? So it just made him a little bit more human to me. Yeah. Well, we're all, I, just, I mean, I think people appreciate that in the long run. Yeah, I just didn't have that connection with that guy for so for years. I figured I saw him standing up there on a, a silver platter and I didn't see all of his, you know, all of the struggles he went through. But uh, yeah, so I try to reveal it as I go. That way nobody's surprised when they, <laughs> they go shooting with me in the future, you know? So, sure. Yeah. No, I think that's so. cool. Um, I, I'm wondering, um, I know that, well, I'm assuming that's not like a purposeful strategy. It's just you, you being yourself. Yeah. But I'm wondering, have you have you seen any impact on either your following or your sales or anything like that based on that approach? Um, I think mostly my following. It makes a more solid following. People that are more apt to leave meaningful encouragement and comments and stuff that makes any sense. It does. Yeah. I've got, I've got a more sincere and a more solid following. I think the people that f- follow me seem to know me or seem to think they know me, uh, well enough to have a personal connection somehow, you know? So, you know, what was your question again? <laughs> you, got you got it. You got it. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it's, it certainly isn't a plan. This is just me. <laughs> Just, hammering at a freaking keyboard, man. You know, yeah, so yeah, like uh, yeah. I can't pay my fucking bills, and yeah. I'm frustrated. So, could yeah. you please buy one of my prints so that I can actually pay my bills, please? Yeah, and not only that, but you know what? Uh, <laughs> it also it also makes the times when you go on there and and tell everybody about your accomplishments. It sounds less like bragging when you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They actually go oh, right on. He finally won one. You know. <laughs> Right. or something you know so yeah it's it's you know you're more open you see the whole spectrum so, i feel like yeah. that's really hard to do on social media though because um you know for whatever reason i think people have somewhat of an expectation of of how people act mm-hmm. in some i mean yeah. it's it's kind of a weird social experiment in some ways like uh well, in terms of you know most people are trying to impress other people i don't i'm not trying to press in but if i wanted to you know, if I was trying to impress people, I'd cut my hair. <laughs> no way, man. That, 
would, you know what I mean? That wouldn't so do people, it. Uh, so people, you know, they don't want to put things that make them look less than magnificent online. So, right. No, it's true. Well, some people do. I have some friends of mine where it's like every day you're like, Oh my God, your life must be awful. (laughs) Like there's Uh, some of those people, not very often. There are those, there are those people, you know, but there's a lot, there's a lot of people that are really down on their luck. And you know, when you're down on your luck, it's hard to be positive, pull yourself back out of that situation. You know, I feel for those people. I really do. And if anybody those, if any of those people are doing that to, or they're in those situations and they're using a camera to try to pull themselves out of those situations like I did, I'm there for them. You know, I want to let them know it worked for me. I mean, I went through a lot of hell when, when that turning point in my life happened, you know, yeah. you know, when it all fell through, I tell people that all the decisions that I should have made on my own were made for me when my life fell apart. That makes sense. It does. I'm- all of those, all of those hard decisions that a lot of people would have to make, like quitting that job, didn't have to quit it. The job just kind of went away, right? You know, and reprioritizing them, their their debts, so their budgets, and all this other stuff. All that stuff happened as these tra- tragedies, you know. Yeah. So if anybody's trying to do that on their own without tragedy happening, I want to encourage them and tell them it can be done. Right. All you got to do is. Just do it. (laughs) Just make really hard decisions, you know, and you can be a full-time photographer too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is a—it's a huge world out there. We all create our own little circle of influence out here. We don't have competition from other photographers. I tell people that there is no competition in this world. This this world is large enough for all of us, at least all of us, and all of those that are willing to make the sacrifices and and work as hard as it needs they need to work to do to do what they need to do so yeah i was gonna i wanted to talk to you about that concept of competition because um i actually had like a hour-long conversation last night with aaron babnick about workshops and um and social media and and what drives what drives human behavior essentially in terms of what we're seeing in the field yeah, she'd be the perfect one to ask that too. She inspires me daily. Yeah, well, at least you know every time I see something. But you know, but of, any. But one of the things, one of the one of the things that we landed on was that uh, that that there's for whatever reason, and maybe it's just human nature, but but uh, people, landscape photography brings out the worst in some people in terms of competition and wanting to, you know, one up other people mm-hmm. and get get a better sure. photo and. I think, you know, yeah. you said it really well earlier, like you're probably in it for the wrong reason if that's what drives you. But, exactly. but I think for some people, like they can't help it. So I'm, I'm, it sounds like, you know, you've kind of grown past that as an artist. And I'm wondering like what, well, what if- you have to, you know, you're exactly right. And if that's what Aaron said, she's right as well, that it's human nature. It's, it's what makes humans as a species try to better themselves and as better themselves through nature is this warrior concept of competition, right? Right. Right. Okay. Well, I think that we're not, we're not on a battlefield anymore here. You know, (laughs) we're in a, we're in a situation, especially in, uh, in an artistic field in a field of art. And it's an, it's a, it's an area where you actually, grow when you help other people 
And you don't necessarily have to, it doesn't necessarily have to be another photographer. You know, when some person out there who's going through a struggle in their life messages you and tells you about their struggle and their only motivation to get up in the morning, get out of bed is go over the computer and see what kind of beautiful photograph you posted that day. Does that change your life? Absolutely. You know, does that change your motivation? All of a sudden you have to stop and think about it for a minute and realize what you're doing is affecting other people. That's heavy. Your photography (laughs) and your artwork is affecting other people. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're affecting uh, other photographers. It's the viewers that are looking at your, your work. And so at that point you realize that the positive you put out there is, I don't know. How do you put it? it, You know, you strive to make other, what you do more effective. So if, if your work is affecting people in a positive way, you want to make it more effective and you want to be able to help more people. As soon as you realize that it takes your vision off of yourself and it puts it over onto the people that are looking at you you don't realize there are people looking at you sometimes. And then you may look at, think of other people looking at you and then think of it as. Uh, well, how does that, what, how does that, um, that knowledge or that, that viewpoint in terms of realizing that your, your photographs are having an influence on other people. How does that, if at all affect how you approach the craft? Um, you know, it, I'm not, you know, I'd have to think about that, you know, because I've always done my best to try to do my best when it comes to perfecting my art. Um, I think that what it does is it changes everything else that supports your effort to try to achieve a more perfection in the art that you do. Does that make sense? All right. Um, it changes your motivation, which would perhaps change um, the reason you go out to take a photograph, uh, the places that you go, um, and all of the other things that are underlying parts of the photograph itself. Because I think ultimately, most everybody's doing their best to strive to, to make the best photograph that they can. But I think there's a lot of things that hold them back from making that photograph. And when you start pulling those things away or changing the things that are pulling you down, then you're able to be more free to be able to achieve or work within your, you know, your ability to be able to make a better photograph. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I mean, ultimately it helps your mind to be able to be more creative. I think, you know, you're more motivated to be more creative perhaps. So, yeah. 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 I know. I think that makes sense. I'm just wondering, like, I feel like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a psychology person at my, at my core. That's what I went to school for. I have a Mm. master's in clinical psychology. So like understanding people's motivations is, I love that. I love that. But what I've noticed is um, regardless of the, if the, the end motivation is a good one or not, the more motivations people have, it seems like unless, unless you're tempered by some kind of code of ethics 
or mm-hmm. some form of external regulation or whatever, people mm-hmm. um, with with that high level of motivation, sometimes they do things that aren't very acceptable in other people's views. Like maybe they, maybe they do a workshop and don't get a permit. Maybe they, um, maybe they take a drone into a national park without a permit. Maybe they, well, um, I don't know. Like, I I don't know if like all motivation doesn't, you know, just because the motivation is a good one doesn't mean the Mm -hmm. end result will be good. I, I don't know. Well, ultimately, you throw enough negative into the world, you're going to get the same damn thing back again. You know, I mean, I don't want to sound too philosophical about any of this stuff, but, you know, the people, you just look at the people that are the most successful within this industry, most of the people, especially the land, I'm talking about the landscape photography world, okay? Uh, Most of the the ones that I know, all right, there's a couple of them that are questionable, certainly, but most of the ones that I know are helping other people. Sure. And so I think that ultimately the people that are going to rise to the top, especially in the long term, are they going to be the ones that have the following that looks up to them as leaders and influencers and people that motivate other people to be better people Yeah, no, I think uh, right. or better photographers. You know, you can't police morality. Or, I mean, you can't. No police other people's uh motivations and stuff you know you just got to wait for them to build enough negative to follow topple them over i guess you know but i I don't look at the i just don't you know when you're in this world where you choose who to follow and who to uh to who to you know, hang around with even, you know, you can choose and you can ignore the negative and gather positive around you. You really can. Sure. No, I agree. Yeah, it just takes your own motivation, you know, but ultimately I think that uh, the people that are doing it wrong won't be doing it wrong in another 10 years. You know, they'll either be doing it right or not at all. Well, I hope so. <laughs> you know, so I think that's a long term. Well, know, it's funny but, if you think yeah. about, um, if you think about, the craft of landscape photography, especially in the digital age where, um, where the, the focus of landscape photography has gone, has shifted more to the teaching and workshops and, and things Mm -hmm. like that. It's such a small period of time in the history of art that it's really hard to know where it's going to go. Well, the proliferation of digital photography has expanded to, exponentially in the last 10 or 15, 20 years that I've been involved in it, that it's created this huge, big market of people that are willing to pay to know what you know. Right, right, right. Not only that, but there's a whole bunch of photographers that have been in it for about five years or three or four years, whatever, or six or whatever it is that haven't quite reached that level of, of expected success that see these situations as quick money. I mean, go on YouTube. You can find good information and bad information. <laughs> yeah, no. Yes, this is Seriously. true. <laughs> you, you know, and so ultimately, I think that, uh, you know, you know, the, yeah, the, there's going to be people out there, you know, it's, it's just, it's the same situation, even a, a corner business, a shoe store, if they're given bad, bad service, they're going to go out of business. So, yeah. 
but they they got to throw a bunch of bad shoes out there in the meantime. Oh right? yeah, I mean it might take a few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, but you just—that's why I said earlier. You know, we create our own sphere of influence and stuff like that. And as you are able to uh, affect it, then you, you just kind of purge the stuff that doesn't fit into your well, realm of happiness. You know, and, you know, you, that's at least the way I am. You know, that's I've gone on and I've taken Facebook and I've just whipped this algorithm into shape when it comes to eliminating anything that says politics or anything <laughs> on there. And you can do the same thing in your life, manipulate your life's algorithm. You know, I like it. You can do it. Change the paradigm in your life. Yeah. You know? So, well, one thing I wanted to yeah. ask you about, cause it's something that's always stuck with me um, in following you for the last few years is um, I remember you had posted about, um, people that were um, doing workshops in the national forest there near Mount Hood mm -hmm. without permits. Yeah. And that you were at the yeah. time, I don't know if it's still true or not, but at the time you were the only person that actually legally had a permit to take people yeah. on workshops. And I know I, I could probably, if you gave me enough time, count, 15 to 20 photographers that take people into those areas mm -hmm. to do workshops. Yeah. And it sounds yeah. to me like most of them are doing it illegally. So I want to, yeah, I think uh, yeah, the, the last I checked, there was five. Okay. Yeah. So I just wanted to get your perspective on that whole, that whole topic, because um, I see, I see the permitting system as being a, um, at least it's, it might not be a super effective filter for mm -hmm. you know what we're calling like the bad the bad apples but right. well the system doesn't affect any of that the the government's um um permit system isn't a revenue generating um situation the government uses permits to uh regulate um how many people use uh -huh. public land and so if you have any kind of areas that are sensitive to increased traffic, there's always going to be some sort of a permit system into that, that area. And uh, so like the wave is a perfect right. example. Okay. That's how they limit the people going in there. And so any other motivation by the government is, isn't even realized as far as I'm concerned, you know. And uh, another problem with the permit system is that all they want is those five people that they've chosen because that's the amount of the arbitrary amount of people they've chosen. Each group or each permittee can have, I think, 10 people in a group maximum. And so they figured 50 people is maximum for this commercial endeavor. We're going to choose five permittees from this list. I didn't apply last year because I went through some situations. I went through a back operation and stuff. But either way. And so they're, they're doing this to regulate people going out there, but they have never really um, developed any kind of enforcement right. situation. Mm -hmm. If you just happen to come across a ranger, then if he asks, happens to ask you, then you ha have to have your permits. Right, which is not stuff. an effective <laughs> means of enforcing a permit system. It isn't. No, no, and not only that, but the Forest Service handles theirs completely different than the Park Service. The Park Service 
um, typically. And each park is a little bit different, but generally speaking, the park service, you go up to them and go, I want to do a, a, a workshop in Glacier. They send you the form back and you apply for it and you tell them what date it is and you get your right. permit or not, right? Well, here they issue a, a yearly permit huh. for five stupid people. <laughs> and they're not even – what, they don't and even, the whole, I'm assuming they well, don't the even whole, have criteria for selecting who they award them to. No, it's no. It can it could be up to the whim of the guy that's uh, issuing the permits like, if he happens to know so and so. Not not that anybody that works in the government. He's like, would do I really like, like that that, but, uh, that name, Gary Randall. It uh, rolls off the tongue nicely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or you know, I've called him enough, chewed him out. Well, he ain't getting his permit <laughs> this year, but. Uh, you know, like when that hair. was going on with me, I, yeah, exactly. How do I cut my hair, get my <laughs> permits? But you know, when that was going on, you know, really, I was I was still struggling to get you know people in my workshops and getting the word out. And at that time, uh, I was used to Facebook putting anything I put on there out, and then they started not putting things out there. And I was it really struggled my business. You know, I was starting to gain a pretty good momentum, and then it was all based on face Facebook. And then when that throttled back, I about collapsed. And so that was about yeah. that era. And so I, I resented these people that weren't doing it right, you know. But since then, like I said, I've changed the way I look at things. I'm just, that's that's their life. That's their problem. They're not affecting me. My life is just going on fine. If they get caught, that's their problem. I'm not the, the permit police and all this other stuff. No, so, it's, you know. I mean, no one can be the permit police. I just, um no, you know, but it was causing um, bad feelings for me. And so I got to get rid of that stuff is kind of my like situation. It. And I've just done that by understanding that these, you know, everybody's struggling and doing their own thing. And it doesn't matter if they go through that gorge or not and bring a bunch of workshops through there. It doesn't, it's not affecting me. It really is not affecting me because none of the people that they're taking through there were going to hire me anyway, right? Well, I don't know. Like I could definitely you know I mean? make an I argument mean, general, that it generally does affect you, generally but uh, speaking, not from a business standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was affecting me, and it goes back to you know when you're when everything that's supporting your perfection or your or progression and perfection of your art is pulling you down. And that was pulling me down because that was sure. a part of my business that I was paying more attention to than going out and taking my own photographs and coming home in a, a good, uh, with a good feeling in my heart and making my art in my, yeah. and being happy, you know? So, yeah. And so just kind of the way I look at it, you know, uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, um, the problem is the forest service problem, you know, the Forest Service really needs to change the way they deal with the uh, photographers that want to do workshops out there because there's enough room in that gorge for all of us because there are literally a million people that are tramping down that gorge out there. I've hiked in that gorge, like I said, for at least 35, almost 40 years since I was a kid. And I'm seeing places just getting ruined by the masses of people that are going through that gorge and stomping down and making new trails and, you know, leaving trash. And, and it's just, it's becoming really, really bad. The gorge has become real popular. There's literally a million people and they're getting upset about 50 photographers going through and a group of maybe 
10 at the most, you know, typical workshop goes through six people, the typical group of, you know, rowdy party goers out there is probably at least that going through out there. So, you know, I think the forest service service needs to realize the situation and they need to deal with us photographers differently and do it more like a, uh, uh, a per event type permit then they can judge whether or not it's going to work or not. Then they can work with a person. Then they know that person's out there and when they're out there. Yeah, and all this it's other interesting stuff, so, because yeah. um, I think it depends on the location of whether or not the impact is, um, is, yeah. is generated by the masses. Like I definitely in the gorge, I agree. Like there's so mm-hmm. many just tourists mm-hmm. that are going there just to see stuff. And, yeah. but I think there's other locations yeah. where, yeah. um, like literally the only people that go to those locations is photographers and that the gorge yeah. is not one of those places, but, uh, um, you know, like I'm thinking of like white pocket or, um, to some degree, there's probably no. places in Iceland that are that way that really the only people that go there are photographers. Um, yeah. Yeah, but we're talking about a permit, uh, permitted groups and things like that. You know, the only way that you're going to be able to limit, uh, again, uh, limit people going into places like White Pocket or something like that is with yeah, a permit that's system. True. You know, even in, in, in that case, in, in, on an individual basis and not as a group mm-hmm, workshop, mm-hmm, you know. And the same thing will happen at, at any of these heavily used no, places. No, it's like exactly. This, so. And eventually, they're, they're going to rethink. They're going to have to rethink the gorge. The gorge is right next to to Portland, right. Portland, Oregon. You know, you can darn near spit in the uh, west wind and hit the gorge from Portland. So you got all of these people that go out in, the, in on the weekends and just beat the hell out right. of it, and then head well, back. I definitely went to the you gorge know? several times, but I didn't beat the hell out of it. <laughs> oh no, of course. Well, not. <laughs> I'd like to think that anyway. I don't know. Well, there's still see. If you if you go a mile off uh, any trailhead, typically the crowd thins out really quick. Oh, for sure. I mean, when I went to uh, Masi Grotto, it was just me and my my two friends that went with yeah. me. Like it wasn't. Yeah. Well, the Masi Grotto is one where uh, the photographers were the yeah. ones that revealed that place. It wasn't uh, the the state putting a hiking trail to it or no, something like no that. Trail. So that. <laughs> You know, that area is different. See, that's an off-trail location. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, um, if a, pers- a person has uh, permits in the gorge, um, they're not allowed to go into off-trail locations. Right. So, uh, perfect examples, I legally can't take people into Weeping Walls either. Mm. So, well, lots you of, know, it's off-trail. I know, I know. But a lot of people are willing to, to do that and take risks, you know. I've... I pissed off a client one time because I wouldn't take him in there. Hmm. It was, you know, I just told him I, I just can't do it. He says, "Well, what if we were off the clock?" And I said, "I got other <laughs> things to do off the clock." And what does that know? even mean, like off the clock? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and an unofficial, you know, oh, situation like or, something, you know. or something. Yeah, you right. know, but I didn't. You know, I don't know. I just. Maybe if the guy was a, if maybe if him and I hit it off better, I don't know. But no, you know, it's just that because he was insistent on me stretching the rules with my permits and it kind of pissed me off. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, so um, you've listened to at least one episode of the podcast, I'm sure. So, oh, yeah. I'm, uh, I think you probably know it's coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
So, based on the name of the podcast, have stop, collaborate, and listen. What advice do you have for other landscape photographers? Collaborate, man. Collaborate. You know, I get more inspiration from positive people, you know, and I'm not talking about emulating their photography. I'm just talking about find positive people that are, you know, putting the work out there that you like and emulate what they're doing. You know, I know one certain female photographer that needs a little bit of uh, self uh, confidence, you know, her work is amazing, but she needs to be, have a little bit more confidence. Hmm. And so I've convinced her to go and study, not this person, other person's work, but how this other person presents themselves online when dealing with their work and stuff. So I think that we can all gain some sort of uh, motivation, if nothing else, from, from being with other people. I just went out yesterday, like I said, with Kevin McNeil and, uh, uh, another fellow, Alex from out Seattle and, uh, yesterday. And I came away from that experience was feeling so positive and upbeat, you know? Yeah, man. It was great. We just had a really good day, you know? And so we sat down, we, you know, afterwards and talked about stuff we can do in the future together. So, yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's, um, you know? that's kind of like what motivated me to do this podcast because, um, I've, I kind of got the same the same good feelings when I would go out on um, photo trips with, with friends of mine that, that I like to go out with. And, you know, you, you have really fun conversations about photography and you can kind of geek out about like, exactly. not even about gear, but like composition and technique and ethics yeah. and, and processing and everything. And it was like, man, I wish like, I wish I could do that all the time with more people. Oh, yeah. I can. I can do a yeah. podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, we talk about doing, you know, all kinds of projects or something like that in the future. There's even been times when uh, I've worked with other photographers with processing, doing different batting back and forth the same raw file or something like that. And I learned so much just from doing that, you know, because another photographer will do something completely different even if it may even achieve the same, oh, yeah, end, crazy, you know? Right? Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, I, I mean, there's a pool of knowledge out there for good, you know, from good, positive and motivated uh, landscape photographers that are willing to share. And there's a bunch of them out there. So, yeah. And that, that, that part of it is so fun. I remember, I remember when I lived in Portland, I wanted to, um, I never could pull it off. I don't know if like, I think we were too obsessed with drinking all the good beer in Portland, but, <laughs> um, I became really good friends with a bunch of really good photographers in Portland. Um, and I wanted to get together with all of them and, and like, just do like, let's trade files and process stuff together yeah. and learn from each other. Never- well, you know, when I first started, it, it was, it was all, all flicker. Mm-hmm. That's all there was, was flicker. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, we would have meetups when I, we were all first starting, none of us could really even knew how to use our f- digital SLRs back then, really. <laughs> but we were going out and we were having a great time. And, you know, most all of us are still friends. We're in a different area and a space in our lives and stuff. But we always go, yeah, man, I remember those nights when we were in Portland shooting at nighttime and uh, the time we went out to wherever, you know, we met up in St. Helens. Were you and, in the, the yeah. Portland Night Owls Flickr group? 
Yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. Back a long time ago. A, way back. Was a Victor Von. Victor Von yeah, Salsa. Was he, yeah. I went yeah. to a Flickr meetup with him um, to shoot the Supermoon uh, when I oh, lived yeah. there. Yeah, Victor's a great guy. Yeah, I like that guy. But, you know, he, I think, he, I don't think he's on Facebook. I think he just stuck with Flickr. Yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> but, yeah. You got first time. Darren White was in that group, right? Darren, Darren, yeah. I got a picture. I I got a picture of a bunch of us on a night we were hanging out and going down to St. John's Bridge and we went down into the basements of Kells and we were smoking cigars and drinking beer. It was a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't even I don't even smoke cigars, you know. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Darren White and I that, yeah, him and I first started, kind of started together back in the old days. And uh, him and I almost died together down in Oceanside on the beach <laughs> or our next on the, at the ocean that had this big wave splashed over the top of us, almost drug us out and ruined my camera. I don't know why it didn't ruin his, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of missed. I cannot miss all those old days. You know, it was kind of like the innocent days of landscape, digital landscape photography. It's changed so much. since Well, then. I think we can create that again if you want to. Well, I'm kind of trying to, you know, I'm trying to uh, kind of, I had a, a really awesome uh, solar eclipse um, workshop over in Eastern Oregon in Baker. I had oh, yeah. 25 people come out to camps and you know what? It turned into kind of like a photography, mini photography Woodstock, man. <laughs> it was so cool. We had such a good time. We were like a big family that whole three days we were running around there with our cameras. The the kids were all disconnected from the internet and their electronic devices and running around playing tag and stuff like we did when we were little kids and it was just awesome you know and so i'm i'm thinking about moving more into uh, photography events than i am workshops, yeah, like so. meetups not just works like just meetups like yeah, even meetups you know yeah, yeah exactly yeah. So, yeah i um excitement getting the excitement going you know yeah when i lived when i lived in portland i went to um I I linked up with a photographer. Her name's uh, Gigi or Gigi. Gigi, Gigi Peak. Yeah. And, yeah, Peak. Yeah, and we uh, we went to uh, Lost Lake mm-hmm. to shoot the Milky Way. I think the there was a meteor shower, but it was like kind of a dud meteor shower. But sure, um, we went to Lost Lake. It was the first and only time I've been to Lost Lake. And uh-huh. then uh, Terrence Lee just showed up. Like cool. randomly, and then uh, yeah. Don Baker. That's like Don that's Baker like him. There. Like a bunch <laughs> yeah. of people I became friends with. Um, Lost Lake is good for that. You go down there because everybody goes to the same spot. Yeah. Well, there's really yeah. only so you, like one spot you can go. Yeah. You know, and that happened the last time I was up there. Went up there with another fella, and him and I sat there. Next thing you know, there's like 15, 16 people there, and <laughs> we're all introducing oh hey you know oh gary i know you how you doing you know Dude, that happened to me yeah. three times when i lived in portland i went to a spot didn't even tell anyone i was going there and terrence lee shows up <laughs> yeah i was at the portland japanese garden here's terrence lee just shows up oh hey how's it going god, i was like god do you ever do anything but travel to these spots come that's, on man. Uh, that's what he uh, that's his that's his that's what he does yeah dude yeah well it's cool so you know the last question. So, who would you want to hear on the podcast? Like, who who inspires you? Who do you think would be uh, interesting to hear from? Let's see. Uh, have you had Kevin McNeil on yet? Not yet. He'd be a good one to think about. Yeah. Um, have you had? I could probably name a couple. 
a few of yeah, them, dude. you know, maybe. Um, have you had, you've, you've probably, you said you've had Aaron on, right? Yeah, she was number two. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Have you had, um, oh, then of course I had a whole list and now my brain's gone blank. Have you had Darren White on at all? <laughs> Not, no, I haven't. Um, huh. I have a story for you, but we'll do it after the podcast. Okay, that sounds good. It doesn't surprise me either. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Kevin McNeil, I'd like to hear. And then maybe uh, uh, somebody that I'm curious about is Gary Crabb. Oh, okay. Uh Uh-huh. You know, because he he don't, he's kind of behind a veil of mystery. I don't hear a whole lot about (laughs) about what he does other than see his work and stuff, you know. Okay. Well, cool, man. And then. Cool. Do you have have any more or is that? Because I mean, nah, that's good. that'll be <laughs> yeah, that'll be good. I could send you a whole list of people I'm curious about, and people, you know, I'd like to see, you know, people that uh, people that I admire, people that are, you know, at the top level that are positive and putting some good work out there, you know. Yeah, so. that's definitely who I'm most interested in for sure. Cool. Right on. Well, thanks, man. It's been so fun to talk to you finally. Cool. I'm glad that you asked me. I really am. This is fun. Yeah, dude. Cool. I was kind of kind of nervous, hope I didn't stumble over my words too much. Nah, oh, man, you did awesome. <laughs> Stage <laughs>